Welcome to the latest edition of Information's podcast. Today, we bring you two guests across the Americas to examine the impacts that COVID-19 has had on the infrastructure market. Joining me first is DJ Gribben, operating partner with Stone Peak Infrastructure Partners and formerly part of the Trump administration. Later in the show, Latin American news editor Jonathan Carmody will discuss the Mexi Mexico's private energy market and the broader infrastructure market at large with Gonzalo Monroy, Managing Director uh, to Consultancy, uh, GMEC. So DJ, welcome to the show again. Really appreciate uh, you taking the time. Uh, of course, John. Thanks for having me. We could talk for uh, <clears throat> hours, I think, at this point about what's going on in the world, but we'll try and uh, compartmentalize as best we can here. Um, so first and foremost, um, the quite recently, uh, U.S. Senator John Barrasso, chairman of the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, uh, called for enhanced legislation, uh, the Transportation Infrastructure Act of 2019, or SC 2302, uh, to be included in the $1 trillion uh, federal stimulus package being pushed through by the Trump administration. Uh, what is the latest um, you've heard on these developments? Uh, that's a great question. Obviously, we're in a very unusual and very uncertain time with uh, COVID-19 impacting virtually every American's life uh, currently, and it's unclear how long this is going to last. Right now, most of the conversation um, when it comes to the COVID-19 response has not been touched on infrastructure. It's really been focused on ensuring that individuals, uh, workers, businesses, have uh, access to resources so that we don't have a significant depression when it comes to demand in our consumer-based economy that ripples out through it. So while there have been conversations in infrastructure primarily around airports and airlines, uh, obviously Amtrak has been in the news as well. Yeah. When you think about P3s and investing infrastructure overall, we haven't worked our way down the food chain far enough to hit to that topic. Um, and it, it, it makes sense for Senator Brasso, who's been a significant champion of um, highway reauthorization, a uh, great champion for infrastructure, to put his hand up and say, hey, as long as the federal government is, is money, why don't we spend it on something that's as important as highway infrastructure? When you think about how the virus and the reaction of the virus affects infrastructure and P3s in particular, I think currently there's much more focus on ensuring that workers, that individuals, that businesses have access to capital, uh, that, that the focus right now is much more on urgent responses than on uh, infrastructure as a whole. And so while it makes sense for Senator Barrasso to push for additional funding as part of highway reauthorization, which is an important priority, I, I think given the sense of urgency around other spending needs, it's unlikely that uh, a stimulus package will include overall highway funding. It may include specific projects, specific opportunities, but unlikely that it would include uh, the legislation as a whole. Um, so Fitch came out with some very measured guidance yesterday on how their thoughts were on COVID-19 as it affected various uh, aspects of infrastructure. Um, they sort of divided into two segments, uh, demand-based infrastructure and then contracted assets. Um, mean short-term impact through demand-based, which is airports and toll roads, and then contracted assets, um, which I think they're probably referring in some sense to, to midstream assets. Um, 
you know, as they talk about the deteriorating quality of the off-taker and how it affects um, the contracts. And you, know, you could think about PPAs too, I guess, maybe in that. But what, what's your, what were your thoughts on that guidance in particular? I haven't read the guidance in whole, but the general concept of understanding that different infrastructure assets uh, and their projected future performance will vary depending on the nature of the asset is absolutely right. We're in my home state of Virginia, we're seeing significant drops in the 40 to 60% range of utilization of some toll road assets. So that's obviously very worrisome if it, that continues. I mean, if this, if this is a V-shaped curve uh, challenge that we're facing currently, then that's, that's less concerning than if the economy dips and then usage is significantly down now and stays that way for a prolonged period. So I don't think, you know, infrastructure assets, how they respond to this, um, I think that's that's hard to project at this point. I mean, I could argue both ways. One, the demand-based assets like toll roads are going to be quicker to respond than assets like midstream, which are going to be more reliant on the economy as a whole. Okay. Um... So it was uh, interesting that you talk about uh, Virginia toll roads. We do had one uh, asset, um, the Elizabeth River Crossing toll road, um, that inquiry um, uh, and Skanska had, um, you know, tentatively been looking to uh, sell. Uh, investment bank had been hired in the form of RBC, uh, and there had been a um, push to start the process in. Um, uh, early 2020, but it seems like we've heard that that's been uh, put on hold for the time being for obvious reasons, but that was one uh, asset we were watching um, uh, earlier this year. Um, DJ, just switching gears to specifically the P3 projects, um, curious to get your thoughts on, on the process and how everything gets impacted by it. Uh, you have the procurement uh, on one hand, and you can move that forward and you know, get teams shortlisted. You can pick, get RFPs submitted. Then you have the economics of the deal, uh, the actual uh, financing um, that needs to get done, either through a mini perm construction facility, um, private placement bonds, some combination of both, um, alongside the municipal funding, of course, uh, as their part in the project plays. Uh, and then finally, you have the timeline. The, the necessity to get a project built. Um, I have a certain sense, although we really haven't heard it yet, that uh, LA is probably uh, getting a little bit nervous at this point, uh, given their timelines that they've laid out to, you know, get their city um, properly, um, uh, having some projects in place ahead of the Olympics and how you know, this probably affects the timeline somewhat. We're talking about significant LRT projects, uh, two big airport projects, um, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, mind you, I'd like to sort of just get your take on, on how you think all three elements might get affected um, by the virus today. Uh, that's a great question, John. Um, so th there's, there's obviously multiple different elements that you're talking about here, but the one thing that's, hard to understand if you haven't been inside of government is what a crisis like this does to your command structure. Because essentially the top part of any government institution at this point, they're spending 24 seven thinking about how to respond to this virus. 
So any decisions that need to be made along an infrastructure nature that would be kind of day-to-day normal decision-making, that's all getting pushed back. Uh, on the, the good news side of this is crises like these encourage innovative thinking. And, you know, P3 is a phenomenal procurement tool. There's a fair amount of political resistance to any new innovative idea. I think the environment that we are in currently helps erode that resistance and encourage much more innovative thinking. In terms of the process itself, you know, you put your finger on it. Uh, anything that's in process right now is should anticipate getting delayed until uh, the leaders of, you know, state, county, city, federal governments get their arms around this crisis. The good news for Los Angeles, it is a particularly high-functioning government. So uh, if any government in the U.S. can walk and chew gun at the same time, it is uh, Los Angeles. So I wouldn't worry too much about them. But I would worry about, you know, the ability of governments to address the crisis patch up immediate concerns and then be able to get back to more business as usual type decision-making like how do we develop this P3 project? So you're going to see, I think it's good of you to split it out in several different ways because this crisis will affect projects different ways. And it will also affect projects based on the geography that you're working in. So if you have very high functioning uh, governments in the geography you're in, less of an impact, um, States that maybe are doing P3s for the first time or cities that are thinking about P3s for the first time, this now becomes quite hard for them to think about this while they're trying to deal with the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, yeah, that's a very um, interesting commentary there. Appreciate that. Um, the yeah, And this kind of also had, um, you know, came in what had been anticipated to be what could be a, a busy year. Um, I'm just phrasing it out here, TJ, but, uh, you know, we had seen some promising projects, you know, introduced at the, the beginning of January uh, or early, late December, um, namely the Maryland Managed Lanes Project um, and a seemingly very highly motivated uh, Georgia uh, DOT uh, to get SR400 finally out there. Um, you know, the type of thing where you see um, infrastructure funds partnering with contractors and, um, you know, everybody, you know, Maryland has had its fair share of troubles, but uh, you can better describe more than I, although I can describe it as well about how congested the roads are uh, that this project would mess. solve. That's horrible. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. horrible. Yeah, I grew up in that neighborhood. Oh. Yeah. On 270? Uh, yeah, I'm 270. I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, so it's right where. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. used to live in Chevy Chase, so yeah, we we all saw it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but these are projects where there's a lot of good, you know, common interests aligned with very motivated investors, and um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see what transpires in the next few months. Um, obviously, the timeline establishes that uh, people get, you know, plucked as proponents much later in the year. It's not something that was an immediate. Uh, process right now, um, but that, those are two projects we were sort of eagerly watching how it un unravels, um, unro com comes out, uh, and then some stuff that was in the more um, short term or medium term uh, were the two civic center projects like LA Civic and the National Western Center in Denver, uh, and then Fargo Moorhead again, years in the making, uh, yeah. finally a positive ruling, um, and uh, USA's you know planning to move forward. 
with some very well-heeled investors alongside contractors. And um, I think a summer deadline for the RFPs, but I guess we'll see what happens um, there. Um, any other projects that have caught your eye? Not project. I, I would actually, I would take a step back, and I think there's a bit of a silver lining to this mm -hmm. crisis, and and that is uh, on on both the the buy and the sell side. From the government perspective, as I mentioned before, we're likely to come out of this crisis with governor governments having fewer resources and needing to be more nimble and more creative than we went into it than they were when we went into the crisis. Uh, and I think on the investor side, I think also while there's not really a lack of investment currently. I think this underscores the fact that infrastructure as a stable asset makes sense as, as part of your portfolio. So I think hopefully what will happen is that um, the shock will encourage people to be a little bit more creative, uh, especially governments be a little bit more creative in terms of how they deliver their infrastructure and how they operate and maintain infrastructure over time. And that will create up more opportunities for those invested in the P3 market. Excellent. Well said. Well, DJ, um, I thank you for coming on the program today and uh, we'll let you go. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time today, sir. Oh, my pleasure. Take care, John. So after talking through the U.S. market, uh, we're going to move south to Mexico and where I'll let uh, our Latin American news editor, uh, Jonathan Carmody, take it away with uh, Gonzalo Monroy. Uh, thanks for coming to the program, guys. Thanks very much, JB. Uh, yeah, we're here today with Gonzalo Monroy from GMEC in, in Mexico. Um, particularly today, we want to have a look at the energy sector in Mexico and how the certain crises that we're experiencing at the moment are affecting business in the country. So, Gonzalo, firstly, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you, guys. Gonzalo, I wonder if you could just give us a brief update on what the situation is like in Mexico. I'm sure JB's already mentioned the, the US situation. Basically here, we've been working from home since mid last week. I understand from speaking to several sources in Mexico that the government has been reluctant to send people home and, and to shut things down. So if you could just give us a very brief introduction in what is the situation regarding COVID-19 in Mexico and what is the government and what are industry doing about that? Well, uh, yes, guys. Well, first of all, as you correctly mentioned, the government has been very hesitant to implement harsher measures or to reduce um, pretty much public transportation in Mexico in general. Uh, as probably you guys know and, and the audience may know, one of the largest music festivals in Mexico, the Vive Latino, which gathers around 60 to 70,000 people per day, actually was not canceled. And some of the first uh, infected, um, uh, unfortunately, infections have come from there. So it is very likely that in the following days, we may see a, a reaction, a quicker reaction from the government. Um, that being said, a lot of the companies, especially in the, in the energy sector, has uh, started to take some measures, especially work from home, remote operations, the continuity of operations have been implemented since last week. Uh, pretty much all of the energy companies, rather from the, especially and, and especially from the private sector, not Pemex, not CFE, the largest uh, two state-owned utilities in Mexico, um, has taken such uh, such measures. Uh, as pretty much and pretty much as a as a color note, yesterday it was the 82nd um, 
anniversary of expropriation day in Mexico, where the Mexican government pretty much nationalized all the old industry in 1938. Uh, the president, uh, López Obrador, and the CEO of Pemex, Octavio Romero Pesa, attended the event, along with several other high-ranking officials. Uh, the, uh, the gathering actually had more over 300 people uh, in a closed space, so it was pretty much a reflection of how much politics is imposing uh, its way rather than uh, the preventive measures. Right, I see. So it sounds like Mexico has been a little bit slow to react, especially when you compare it to other countries like Peru or Paraguay, which put very strict regulations down very quickly to restrict people from traveling and, and eating out at restaurants and going to bars. So that's that's interesting to hear that Mexico has been a little bit more reluctant in that sense. One thing I was thinking about when I was talking to you earlier was the idea that, you know, you might have to shut down companies and industry. I know Mexico is heavily reliant on, on the maquillas, the, the factories in the north. Um, if this virus continues to spread, what kind of effect do you think it could have on, on workers in Mexico? Well, actually, the, the impact has already to start being felt. Um, you know, as I said, the government has been very hesitant. You have to recall that Mexico had a little minor contraction, pretty much a stagnation, over the 2019, which it uh, de decreased by 0.1% negative. So in reality, the urgency for the government not to slow down the economy even further is very, very clear. Um, and perhaps this will give way to a larger conversation in which the government is very, very focused on not to decrease the amount of fiscal revenues they are obtaining. The old crash that we have seen over this month, I would say, has been very catastrophic, especially for Pemex, but especially and more and more focused on the fiscal uh, revenues for, for the federal government. We got, uh, taking back to your question, um, that is a whole, the whole reason why the Mexican government has not implemented harsher measures. Uh, even the president himself and a number of people and analysts have pointed this out. He's like trying to deny reality. It's pretty much in denial state in which he has not canceled any events, any large gatherings in his uh, in his uh, morning uh, conference in Palacio Nacional. And he stands to be, uh, I would say, a step back or trying to deny something that is very real, that has a serious economic impact, and that we, in which Mexico has not taken the, the necessary provisions to face it in a, in a more expedite and more responsible way. Sure. And we heard from Brazil that the president there, Bolsonaro, is, is taking a very similar approach, possibly for different reasons, but certainly much more in denial of the, the, the risks associated with the virus and certainly very slow to, to shut things down. That's very interesting. Um, well, it's, it's happening at a very interesting time, Gonzalo, because we were expecting this week the government to introduce a new energy infrastructure plan. Um, would you be able to give us any insight into if that plan is still expected to be presented this uh, week yes, and what, what you expect to see in the plan? Absolutely. Well, uh, first of all, we have to remember that this infrastructure plan was, going, was about to be presented since December of last year. However, the internal <laughs> infighting against uh, some of the more conservative hardliners that are present in the, in the heads of CFE of the Ministry of Finance 
uh, well, I would say industry of energy, sorry, uh, are very reluctant to have more open uh, opportunities or more opportunities for private investments. As such, they have been very focused on keeping a model in which the state-owned utilities, both CFE and Pemex, are having pretty much a central role, an essential role, and pretty much the only role of the, of the, of the energy sector in Mexico. On the other hand, you have a more moderate uh, wing of the government uh, led by the Ministry of Finance, uh, that was my mistake, um, in which they are trying to promote more private investment to, pick him, to pretty much pick up uh, a, a growing path of the GDP and have a more dynamic uh, economy. However, this infighting, as I was saying, is pretty much not being solved, but rather managed by President López Obrador. Um, that being the case, the, the whole idea, and, and uh, uh, that this is something that he actually mentioned yesterday, is that the plan would be uh, presented Friday or perhaps next week. That being the case, that the whole uh, presentation of this infrastructure plan has been postponed three times. So an, another fourth, it wouldn't be a surprise at all. Uh, what to expect? And I think that this is perhaps a larger question. Mm -hmm. Originally, the plan has already been settled. It's going to be a lot of service contracts in terms of um, on the oil and gas industry, uh, pretty much all contracted by Pemex. And in the electricity sector, it's pretty much all EPC contracts. No, no opportunities for private investment, no significant uh, investment in transmission or distribution lines, and no modernization whatsoever of the electric grid. That is something that is uh, quite uh, interesting about that. In terms of other uh, projects, in terms, for example, midstream, the only large project that is being focused is the interconnection of the Mayacan pipeline in the southern part of Mexico with the Cistrangas, which would be the integrated uh, pipeline system, originally the, the national pipeline system. Uh, it is pretty much a 10-mile interconnection. It has been already, originally it's one, it was going to be beat out internationally, but at the end of the day, it was uh, a, direct award, a direct award from uh, CFE to Engie, the uh, operator of Mayacan. Other large projects are, are expected in downstream, especially in older refineries. Um, just as a side note, President Lopez Obrador, in his nationalistic view of the, of the energy sector, is promoting a lot of the, that Mexico pick up the pace on its uh, refining system, which has been lagging currently and, and nationwide. is at 42% uh, utilization rate, quite below any international standards. In the way of, in the way of thinking of uh, of this administration, imports are seen like a dependency and such as a loss of sovereignty. Uh, given the nationalistic ways uh, that I said before, this is pretty much unacceptable for the uh, for the administration, which has focused more now in downstream instead of upstream, with uh, with all resulting consequences. Interesting again. And that sounds very bleak from what you've been saying in terms of the opportunities for the private sector. We have seen that the, the Pidiregas, uh, the kind of design, build, finance plants that the government's proposing for, for certainly thermal generation plants, could have some opportunities for, for certainly, as you said, EPC contracts with a short-term construction financing. But how do you see the prospects for those investors who are perhaps already in the Mexican market or who are interested in getting into the Mexican power market? 
are there going to be any new spaces for those developers and those investors to to acquire or to develop projects in the country or do you think it's going to take a, a radical shift on the thinking of the government for there to be new opportunities for for those investors I think I think uh, Jonathan that this actually is going to be a crucial week for the government. The uh, the pretty much the whole approach or making Pemex and CFE great again uh, to, mm -hmm. to regain their power market uh, market power sorry is uh, is being seriously seriously uh, challenged by now. For example, take a take a look at at Pemex and Pemex had a loss of almost thirty five billion dollars in two thousand nineteen. Production wow. it is not it is not picking up. Um, there is a serious, almost a certainty that Pemex will lose its investment grade. So the whole strategy of, of, of strengthening Pemex by reducing the participation of private uh, investors has actually been has actually backfired. To be honest, uh, I think that this week is going to be, especially with all the price uh, oil price crash. And also a decreasing and an enormous surmounting uh, debt interest to be paid this year and the following. Uh, you have to remember that also the Mexican peso has devalued by almost 25% over the last uh, two weeks. So everything is going to be challenged right now. Uh, two days ago, President Lopez Obrador had an emergency meeting with all his cabinet members. So they could review or to offer some solutions or ideas of what can be changed or done. Uh, it is my understanding that the that there could be potentially some opportunities in this new infrastructure plan, but it's not going to be game changers. There is no expectation that bid rounds are going to be uh, relaunched, electricity auctions to be restarted, but rather have a more opportunity like to develop these kind of projects. We're not going to mess with existing projects, uh, business as usual, but in terms of new opportunities, those are be very. I think that are going to continue to be missed. Right, I see. Yeah, that's. Uh, it sounds like there's going to have to be a little bit more pain for the Mexican government before they realize that there there is really a space there for the private sector to participate in the development of these projects. Uh, do you have any other insight into um, how private projects are, are faring at this time? As you mentioned, obviously, the oil prices is very low. That shouldn't necessarily affect renewable or, or gas-fired plants. But in terms of the general sector, do you have the impression that certain M&A transactions or project financing deals might be slowed down because of the current crisis? Actually, what I have been seeing and hearing uh, from a number of participants is that a lot of people are pretty much uh, downsizing. They're pretty much uh, no appetite for any, I would say, any risk, especially in Latin America in general. So I would tend to think that it's going to be wait and see to see how things uh, settle after all, the, the, all this dust, all this mess, all this chaos. Um, that being the case, um, a number of a number of projects that should be expected to go online, uh, especially in electricity will continue to do so, perhaps at a slower rate, but it will con definitely continue. Mm -hmm. But I think that the largest effect is going to be felt in upstream. Uh, you have to remember that, for example, Shell and Equinor, also BP in, in a partnership with Equinor, are, uh, were, or were scheduled to have a, this aggressive uh, drilling campaign in the, in the Mexican shallow and deep waters. It is very likely that given the oil price that we're seeing right now, 
those plans could be delayed uh, uh, for uh, not entirely canceled, but, uh, per, 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 but perhaps delayed for some months at, at least until everything settles. You have to remember that uh, pretty much all the energy, all the energy sector and companies in general all over the world have taken a beat so serious that is very that there is pretty much no money left for any development and or acquisition. So. Perhaps there are going to be some opportunities, but uh, I don't think that the appetite is just. Well, Gonzalo, thank you very much for providing us with your insight on this industry at this time. We hope that the next time you go on the podcast, we can have a slightly more optimistic outlook, but this is a great view of the situation as it stands at the moment. Uh, well, that's all the time we have. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, yeah, like uh, JC said, uh, we, we hope the next time we go on air, we'll have slightly more positive news. But um Thanks for hanging in there, guys, and stay safe. Uh, Burke out.